I believe the novels of Susan Sontag are self-indulgent, overrated crap. I believe Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone. I believe there ought to be a constitutional amendment outlawing AstroTurf and the designated hitter. Kevin Costner as Crash Davis in the film Bull Durham. Welcome to Revisionist History, a podcast where we set the historical record straight no matter who it might offend. I'm Paul, and in today's episode, we continue our mini-series on conspiracy theories, specifically the conspiracy theories surrounding the JFK assassination. Now, if this is a podcast about history and specifically revisionist history, you may wonder why it opened with a quote from Kevin Costner's baseball film, Bull Durham. I'm glad you asked. I just find it ironic and a little bit funny that Kevin Costner's perhaps best character, Crash Davis, very specifically believed that Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone. And yet only a few years later, Costner played a character who spent three hours and 26 minutes trying to prove that Lee Harvey Oswald had nothing at all to do with the Kennedy assassination. The character he played in that film was Jim Garrison. And the film was, of course, Oliver Stone's JFK. In our last episode, I said that this episode would focus mainly on Lee Harvey Oswald and maybe a little bit on Jack Ruby. But as I was doing more and more research... For whatever reason, I kept coming back around to Stone's film. And ultimately, I think there is a reason. Besides the fact that it's probably the single most egregious example of historical errors in filmmaking ever. Over the last several episodes, I've talked a lot about how conspiracy theory books and conspiracy theory websites and just conspiracy theory information or disinformation in general is detrimental to history. Well, JFK grossed over $200 million worldwide in 1991, which means that it reached more people, arguably, with a complete revision of the truth about the Kennedy assassination than all of the books that have been published about the assassination in the last 50 years. And it continues to spread that disinformation through DVD and streaming today. Which means that an entire generation has grown up with that as their main source of information about the Kennedy assassination. Because, frankly, we know most people aren't going to the history books for their information. There were a number of scathing reviews of the film when it first came out. But those reviews have faded over time. And yet the film remains. And it has an 8 out of 10 score on Rotten Tomatoes. Or IMDb, I can't remember which. 
So I think it's time to once again point out some of those glaring historical inaccuracies that existed both in Stone's film and Garrison's book on which the film was based. Will this podcast ever reach the number of people that Stone's film did? No. But it's a start. We'll be right back. Before getting into all that's wrong with the film JFK, I should point out that Oliver Stone himself is, I believe, proof of something I said at the start of this series. There are a number of people who believe that the world we live in today would be a far different place had John F. Kennedy not died in Dallas on November 22, 1963. And of course, they're right. Some events are bound to have changed had Kennedy lived and had he been re-elected in 1964 especially. There's no way to know if he would have pulled out of Vietnam, though I showed in the last episode why I think this was unlikely. But even if not, the war might have gone far differently. Other possible changes in history, though by no means certain, could have included the following things never happening. Nixon's election, Watergate, even the Second Iraq War. What does all this have to do with Oliver Stone? Well, he's one of those who definitely believes that the Kennedy assassination led to all of these things. Just consider some of the films he's made in the last three decades. Platoon, Born on the Fourth of July, Nixon, W, and of course JFK. To Stone, all the evils of the past 50 years from Vietnam to Watergate to Iraq, stemmed from Kennedy's death. And such a momentous shift in history could simply not have been triggered by a lone nut with a rifle. It had to be a conspiracy of epic proportions carried out at the very highest levels. Now in his defense, something I will rarely say about Oliver Stone, he didn't come up with all this on his own. He essentially took everything in his film JFK from the 1988 book On the Trail of the Assassins by former New Orleans District Attorney Jim Garrison. The book recounts Garrison's investigation from 1966 to 1969 that resulted in the only criminal case ever brought related to the assassination. Garrison charged that New Orleans businessman Clay Shaw was an agent of the CIA and that Shaw had worked with the CIA, the Mafia, the Cubans, both pro and anti-Castro, and the military-industrial complex in conspiring to kill President Kennedy. In spite of this plethora of suspects, Garrison's only witness was a man named Perry Russo, who claimed that he attended a party in New Orleans where Clay Shaw, Lee Harvey Oswald, and a man named David Ferry discussed plans to assassinate the president and used the phrase triangulation of crossfire. It was later revealed that Rousseau had given his statement under the influence of sodium pentothal, so-called truth serum, and hypnosis, all under the supervision of District Attorney Garrison. During the trial, Garrison brought up everything from the grassy knoll shooter theory to the so-called magic bullet to Oswald's non-existent ties to the CIA, 
yet almost nothing about Clay Shaw himself other than one man's dubious claim to have overheard a conversation between Shaw and Oswald. In reality, Shaw and Oswald had never met, and after a two-month trial, the jury took less than 60 minutes to bring back a verdict of not guilty. Undeterred, Garrison claimed he lost the case as a result of a smear campaign by the Central Intelligence Agency. It was widely known in New Orleans in the 1960s that Jim Garrison was a grandstanding publicity hound who would not hesitate to use his position of power to intimidate and harass those who either opposed him or simply would not cooperate with him. Furthermore, members of his own staff later admitted he would bend evidence to support his theories rather than forming his theories as a result of the evidence. By the time his book came out almost 20 years later, much of this had receded into memory and was totally unknown by an amazingly naive and starstruck Oliver Stone. Garrison's book fit what he wanted to believe and he bought it, hook, line, and sinker. Now it would take twice as long as the three and a half hour running time of the film to address every error, but here are just a few of the more egregious ones. First, Stone posits that Lee Harvey Oswald was, as he claimed after his arrest, simply a patsy with no involvement whatsoever in the assassination of JFK or even the murder of Dallas police officer J.D. Tippett roughly an hour later. To support this outlandish claim, Stone, using Garrison's book, claims, among other things, that Oswald's prints were planted on the rifle after he died and that a photo of Oswald holding both the rifle and the pistol that he killed Tippett with was a fake. The truth is that Oswald's wife, Marina, admitted that she took the picture. It was linked to his camera. He sent copies to various people before the assassination, and forensic examination proved it was not altered in any way. Stone also uses the testimony of the one witness who said two men, not one, shot Officer Tippett. Though no fewer than four people saw Oswald pull the trigger, and nearly a dozen saw him either approach Tippett's car or fleeing after the shooting. He also claims, even more bizarrely given the number of witnesses to Oswald's arrest, that Oswald surrendered peacefully and was beaten by the police. In fact, Oswald punched the first officer to approach him in the face and then attempted to shoot him with the same pistol he'd used to kill Officer Tippett. Another egregious error is one that, in all fairness, has been put forward by conspiracy theorists almost since the moment Oswald was arrested, and that's that there was simply not time for an assassin to get off three shots from the Texas School Book Depository in the time allowed. So there had to be other gunmen. In the film, while attempting to recreate the shooting from the book depository, one of the characters tells Garrison, played by Kevin Costner, that the Zapruder film establishes three shots in 5.6 seconds. In reality, the Warren Commission showed that the minimum time was 7.1 to 7.9 seconds. When Costner times the recreation, he says it took six to seven seconds. 
Now this is well within the actual time required. Yet, ironically, because apparently Oliver Stone doesn't own a real stopwatch, if you time the recreation for yourself, it's actually almost exactly 5.6 seconds. The third gross misrepresentation, or if you prefer, outright lie, is that according to both Stone and Jim Garrison, David Ferry, who I mentioned earlier, knew Oswald from their time working at an anti-Castro training camp run by the CIA and confessed the entire plot to Garrison before being murdered before he could testify. In reality, Oswald and Ferry never met, the training camp never existed, and Ferry maintained his innocence to the day of his death by natural causes. Garrison only included him in his case after his death when he could no longer dispute Garrison's claims or his version of events. Finally, there's the mysterious Mr. X, played amazingly by Donald Sutherland. This is one place in the film where Stone veers even from the nonsense in Garrison's book to put forward what he actually believes. That a conspiracy between the military, the CIA, right-wing businessmen, and Lyndon Johnson actually assassinated John F. Kennedy. The problem is, besides the fact that Garrison never met Mr. X and that such a character never existed during his investigation, Mr. X is actually based on Colonel L. Fletcher Prouty, who served as Chief of Special Operations with the Joint Chiefs of Staff during the early 1960s. It should be noted, just for a little context, that Prouty, who died in 2001, held some decidedly unorthodox views. Among them were that he said UFOs were real, that the Holocaust was a hoax, and that Winston Churchill had Franklin Roosevelt poisoned. Yeah, he's a credible source. Prouty based his views on the assassination on a book released in 1967 that purported to be the findings of a government panel. The book, titled Report from Iron Mountain, claimed that war was necessary for governments to retain power. Clearly, Kennedy was anti-war. See my last podcast uh, on this issue as well. And thus, had to be removed by the establishment. The only problem is that report from Iron Mountain was revealed as a hoax in 1972 by satirist Leonard Lewin. Stone clearly knew it was a hoax in 1991, yet he includes it in the JFK film because it fits what he wants to believe and what he wants us to believe. There are countless other inaccuracies and long-debunked theories crammed into the JFK film, from mysterious deaths that weren't really mysterious at all, to Oswald doubles, to, in a scene that was not originally in the film but showed up on the DVD, Jack Ruby's claim that the government gave him cancer by injecting him with cancer cells, which is a medical impossibility. George Will may have summed the film up best in his Washington Post review when he said that Stone was, quote, a man of technical skill, scant education, and negligible conscience, end quote. I couldn't have said it better myself, George. 
for me, as someone who sees these conspiracy theories as not only harmful to the real historical record, but a grave disservice to those whose history it alters, JFK is not just an appalling excuse of a historical drama. By combining unsupported theories and outright lies with a near documentary feel to the film itself, and through the use of respected actors like Costner and Sutherland to portray discredited figures, Oliver Stone has set up a counter-narrative of the assassination that many people believe more than they believe the findings of their own leaders. Film is, and always has been, a powerful propaganda tool, something we'll likely look at in a future episode. In the case of Oliver Stone's JFK, it's not simply propaganda. It's revisionist history at its worst. Have a great week. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to today's episode. I hope you're finding this podcast both informative and entertaining. If you'd like to help us keep episodes like this coming, please consider clicking on the support this podcast link in the show notes. It'll help us create more content and go a long way toward making this podcast completely ad-free. Thanks again.